0: where business ideas and passions turn into profit. Napkin ideas are no longer tucked away in drawers, and women around the globe are turning their hobbies into million-dollar businesses. Welcome to Million Dollar Hobbies. Here's your host, world-renowned jewelry designer and Shop HQ celebrity, Victoria Wick.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Million Dollar Hobbies show. Will we help you turn your dreams into reality so you can live the dream life that you deserve and that you want to live. Um, many of you know that I've been writing a book about my journey of going from a penniless immigrant to starting my own little business to spend a little bit more time with my children at that time. And according to experts, um, they all, or so-called experts, they all told me that, you um, that my chances of succeeding at that time was that could be described as slim and not at best. And so now, after $500 million in sales later, I can look back and say, well, they were wrong. They were actually quite wrong, but I'm not interested in talking about who was wrong or who was right or why. I just want to talk to you a little bit about you know, what it takes to start a small business and sustain that business and grow that exponentially. Um, And I started writing my book. I mean, you know, a lot of people have told me you should write a memoir, you should write a how-to book. And to be honest with you, and. Most of you who have followed me through uh, throughout my career, in fact, long before my career, you know, many of you who follow me at Neiman, Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, Sachs, all those stories where I, I had the cover and, you know, I did a lot of work there. If you've met me, um, you know, I'm always going to tell you the truth. So When people, um, I wrote a science fiction way back and uh, when I tried to present it to the writers' workshops and I actually got in front of uh, the editors of HarperCollins um, and Random House Penguin. They all told me, why aren't you writing a how-to book? Because that's like a no-brainer. I mean, you built this amazing business. You have an amazing story. That story needs to get out and I would love to see the book. So I told them, first of all, I want my life to be very private. um, And I don't even know like what kind of advice I would give somebody because my I believe that my journey was not that unique. And, um, and I also thought that my life, talking about a memoir, I felt like my life is not interesting, that it might be like a great three chapters, but it wouldn't be like a whole book. So I kind of resisted it. But Eventually, during COVID, I started writing some chapters, and I want to just explain to you a little bit. So, I did write the science fiction, which is called Shattered Sky. I am writing a sequel to that because they requested, um, you know, like a three book series. Um, The how to book that I wrote it's just like a half how to, half memoir. It's how I did it. So, how I went from zero to five hundred million dollars in sales with no outside money, no loans, no industry expertise, no mentors, no, I mean, I just had obstacle, obstacle, obstacle. Um, It's about, and it's not, you know, it's not about me at all. My story is the story that every American can have, everybody, anywhere around the world. I understand that I have a huge following in New Zealand. For those of you who are listening to me in New Zealand, thank you so much. Um, It means the world to me that you're listening from that far away. But it is to, this show and the book is to show, uh, to inspire anyone with a dream and, and whoever is willing to work for it, you can achieve it. You can dream the impossible and achieve it and have to talk about that. And, you know, you really don't have to, it doesn't have to be one or the other time or money or, you know, time with your family or money. I mean, you can really have it all if you know how to craft it. And it's not, if I can do it, you can too. And so- with that in mind, I want to bring you today's episode, which is about negotiating. You know, I was just thinking too when I, um, I, I was just talking to my agent um, today about my book. And I thought to myself, you know what? As hard as it is to ditch your jobs and, you know, take uh, on a whole new journey, uh, the faith unknown, it's a, it's a road less traveled, it's a road, you know, unknown, it's kind of scary. As hard as it is for you to start a business, uh, the real hard part is going from starting a business to growing it to a million, 20 million, 100 million. I mean, that's really where the, the meat is. And that's where I think um, I can share with you that my unique journey is very unique and it's explosive growth and continuous growth for for 20 years. Um, And if I can break it down to a couple of things, you know, uh, it's not my MBA, it's not my, you know, incredible personality, it's not my, I mean, I'm not saying that I have incredible personality, I'm just saying I don't have incredible personality. It's none of that. I just think that the things that you need most to go from your small business to a multinational business, there are two two things, there are a lot of other things, but two of the most extraordinary things, um, I think. One of them is dealing with people, people skills. So I just went through it last week, the uh, dealing with difficult people. And then the second thing is about negotiating. You got to really learn how to negotiate with your suppliers, with your big contract customers. And when you have a huge contract with one customer, the other customers that you had, they get, you know, bent out of shape and they want exclusives and they want your drop because, you know, a lot of times they compete with one another. So it's just this delicate balancing act of persuasion and negotiating. Unfortunately, as many of you know, I have an MBA. I went to some you know, really top-notch school for my MBA, and I've taken a lot of classes after that on, in business. I have to tell you, nobody really teaches the art of negotiating. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but um, I've heard that human beings are born with excellent negotiating skills. I mean, if you, and I believe that because I'm a mother of two kids, and if you ever saw a toddler negotiate with, his or her parents, they usually get their way. And their only tools are like a few drops of tears, um, little whimpering sound, and they don't have a lot of negotiating skills, but they know when to use what and they get what they want usually. So, you know, kids, children, all of us are born with excellent negotiating skills. So why do we need to learn how to negotiate now? I think that about like middle school on, we are we are told to conform we're told to follow instructions we're told to do you know what we're told we're told there is a a certain path that's been carved out for you that's been you know well oiled and tried and so you know don't break that cycle you know if the smart thing to do the smart money is to do what everybody else tells you to do which is not true at all so I guess I digressed a little bit about, you know, human beings and all that. But my intention is to really help you negotiate whatever it is that you're seeking, because as we move back to work, many of you are going to be looking for, I mean, hoping for a different sort of uh, working environment, different sort of working arrangement with your, with your employers. Um, if you already, if you're already a small business owner, you might want to offer Uh, a more productive uh, more palatable employment situation for your employees and same thing you know still negotiating with your customers they might be expecting more or less I'm not sure you know if they're expecting if you're expecting more loyalty from them Uh, the supply chain I mean things like landlord you know you uh, many of you might be uh, renegotiating your leases and your commercial properties as well as your you know your condos or so forth so the point I'm trying to make is negotiation is something that we face all the time, every day in whether you're an employee, employer, small business, big business. This is something that never that that really will do you well if you continue to practice. Um, so first thing, a lot of times people don't know that you even need to negotiate. Like sometimes you you just feel like you're so um. Appreciative and you're grateful you have a job, so you don't ask your boss, um, you know, can we negotiate this? You don't think that you can ask your boss anything because he, you know, pay write your checks or he or she write your checks, and you know, it's their terms, and you go in, do your job, and pick up your paycheck. Uh, Sometimes when you, same thing with like a landlord, you know, sometimes they'll tell you uh, the rent is X, you know, so many dollars per square foot. And uh, you don't bother to ask, you know, I mean, I, I remember my first first um, office that I rented was, I swear to you, it was probably like 300 square feet. It was like not much bigger than you know, my current bathroom, for sure. Um, and he charged me for like 500 and somewhat square feet in rent. And my husband's in real estate and he actually measured it. And it was a lot less than 500 square feet. In fact, I know it was like closer to 300 square feet. So why was I being charged, you know, a lot more money? Why was I being charged for square footage I didn't have? So I asked him, and he said that, you know, all tenants actually pay for part of the hallways, the the, the common bathrooms, the lobby space. Like all of us split that, okay? And so we are all given uh, more square footage uh, or our leases say were more square footage. Well, I didn't know that. It didn't make any sense. Not only that, I mean, I was paying almost double the the square footage. Some of the people who have bigger spaces, you know, should have absorbed more because they're going to have more people going to their bathrooms. I mean, that was just me. Okay. So I kind of uh, explained this to um, my landlord and I was able to get, get it down to like 320 square feet or something. Okay. So again, it's just simply asking, you know. um, And in his case, he was able to sort of like split it around his bigger square footage people. So that worked out fine with him. He didn't have a loss there. So the question is, um, you need to learn when you should negotiate and you should always negotiate. I'm not saying. And also the other thing is that when we talk about the word negotiate, it sounds like it's a bad word. It sounds like you need lawyers. It sounds like you are like a, a few minutes before, um, you know, like lawyers come in court. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about, okay, let's back up a little bit. Let, let me explain to you the difference between persuasion and negotiation. Persuasion is simply you're trying to convince somebody. So if I say to my sister, you know, um, I don't know, you know, the, a movie, uh, you know, some latest recent movie is a really great movie. And my sister says, no, it was not a great movie. Um, I don't like this or I don't like that. But if I'm trying to convince her, that's that's persuasion. If you're negotiating, you're negotiating to reach an outcome. You're negotiating for a benefit. So those two are very different. Yes, you do need to persuade somebody to to negotiate well, but I just want you to make that very clear because you'll you'll notice why. Um, because you know your uh, both parties are trying to negotiate with you. They're 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 actively persuading and so forth. So. So you need to know that you can negotiate and negotiate doesn't have to be a bad thing. In fact, it could be a really good thing. And I'll explain to you why. Here are some of my favorite tips on how to negotiate. And I know that it'll surprise so many of you with my first pro tip. But here it is. I say, and this is also in my book, The Million Dollar Hobbies, in fact, I just, I'm right in the middle of writing my negotiating, I'm rewriting my negotiating tips, because to me, this is a really, really important part of our lives, really, you're negotiating with your, with your spouse, even, you know, what are we having for dinner, Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. I always say negotiate with their best interest at heart, not your best, their best. Um, I always start with that position. I am looking out for their best interest. So if I'm shop, if I'm, you know, um, dealing with a buyer at a department store, I first look at what would they need? What would be in their best interest first? Okay, because it's, you know, ideally if you can give them everything they, they need, it's an easy negotiation, right? If you can live with that, it's really easy. So I look at that, the, the road to least resistance. So um, let me just give you an example. If your current employer, let's say you're aspiring to, you know, to start a business five years down the road and you're in this job because you're learning something about the business that you're, you're out to start and you're making connections and so forth. So let's say, for example, you know your current employer is hurting and you know that he needs to make as much money as possible and he wants you to work a lot more hours. He wants you to be as flexible as he can, so that you know you're like pretty much around the clock um, on your um, email, phone. Uh, you know, we used to page years ago. So if that's really best for him, okay. So if you're looking out for his best interest, and you think to yourself, is that really best for him though? Is that really the best thing? Because I would argue that having an employee as willing as she is to work and help that boss, having an employee that has no personal time, that is stressed out for not picking up her kids, that's around the clock, 24 hours a day, is unproductive. The studies all show that uh, you know employees that are overworked, you know, uh, stressed out and overworked over and over again and with no relief, they are not productive. So you, know, you might argue to your boss that, hey, I would love to help you. And so what is the goal here? So you know, what are, I mean, it's not just a matter of the outcome. Me, me working this many hours, me working this flexible, what are our customers benefiting from this? And because I think I can deliver that same result without me having to work those hours. In fact, I think I can deliver more And a lot of times that actually is true. Um, For example, I can tell you that years ago, you know, different. uh, This is a business setting. Years ago, um, I worked when I was at school. When I was at USC, I worked at um, I worked for a professor, and uh, you know, it's part of the grant I got. Uh, I was granted uh, a sort of like half scholarship, half grant, and I was supposed to work. on campus 20 hours a week for this professor. And he was trying to publish a paper about how small businesses go public, You know, because they have to go through years and years and years of auditing, uh, CPA and all that. And it kind of just kind of bankrupted them before they could go public because the regulations were so massive. So uh, this professor was studying the impact of less regulations and more of a speeded up uh, situation. And I was a part of that study. Um, you know, I was supposed to be there 20 hours a week and um, I went to the professor one day and I told him that, you know, um, I have an outside, I have a job outside campus. I always work at two, three jobs. I had a a job outside campus and that if I could take the work home, um, so I'm not physically on campus with him 20 hours, but I could actually check in once a week and I could get all this work done early. So I wouldn't even have to spend the whole semester. You know, I know exactly what my, what my workload is and I know what he wants from me, all the calculations and, you know, everything else. And I can have a great proposal for it um, inside of like six weeks and uh, instead of an entire semester. So he ne- then had the time to review, tweak it, you know, and get uh, peer reviewed and we can have a perfect proposal. So, you know, he agreed like with, without any hesitation. And so I was able to deliver that on time. He did get his grant. I mean, it was, he got much, you know, bigger amount. He got his name, you know, really plastered all over, you know, Wall Street. And not because of what I did, obviously, you know, this guy knew what he was doing. But the point is, my job was actually delivered earlier with less time because he was flexible. So I was looking out for his interest really. And it worked out fine. Now I also will tell you that um, some time ago, I had a department store buyer. I mean, I was always a small business. And um, when you own a small business, at some point, uh, you know, I get uh, two $300,000 orders. In fact, this was like a $400,000 order. Um, you know, there's a huge financial risk on your part at that point. And you really have to know what you're doing. You have to manage your debt inventory. You have to really do all of this. That's where the stress comes from. And I can kind of go over that. Yeah, I go over all of that in my in my book about inventory management, merchandising, uh, minimizing risks and and so forth. But in this particular case, very beginning of my career, um, I shipped her a bunch of tennis bracelets and it was a, I mean, it was was one of the hottest items ever. And um, I I shipped her like the the clear white bracelets for a couple of years and it did really well. Well, we were seeing a little bit of a slowdown. So we introduced um, the green, red and blue. And you know a couple of those items, I think one of those colors didn't sell all that well she wanted to return it. I reminded her that she signed an agreement with me that she wasn't going to return it, and this is why I gave her reduced prices I gave her, you know, every, I gave up everything to get that, you know, give her that price, and she agreed to it in writing, and on every email, and she agreed to it in writing on the purchase order. So, you know, I really wanted her to look for a different solution, but she really didn't have any. So. I basically ended up uh, agreeing because it was in her best interest because if she didn't get some concession from me, she wasn't gonna get fired. And then I was gonna be dealing with a new buyer. So I minimized a little damage. Uh, Instead of her wanting to return like 500 units of the bracelet, I took back 300. um, But with the condition that I would stock balance, I would give her the clear white ones instead instead of just giving her money. And so, It wasn't great. And I didn't know what I was going to do with the 300 pieces I got back, but I had to save her. So I did it, save her job. I had to do it and I did it. And um, she sold out of the the new white ones really fast. And, you know, she reordered a lot quicker. She didn't have any open to buy. Open to buy is like she didn't have uh, any money in her budget to give me any order um, unless I freed up the dead inventory. So I did get all these orders at the end from her that more than made up, I think I got back, um, something like $32,000 or something like that back out of a $300,000 order. It was not too bad. Um, but the 300 pieces I got back, I honestly didn't know what to do with it. And, um, nobody wanted to just carry the green bracelet, you know, without the white or other, other assortment to it. You know, it was just like carrying a, a sport coat without matching bottoms or anything outside. Nobody wanted it. So I ended up selling it to somebody out in Dubai. He was a liquidator, so I took a little loss on that, on the 300-unit order. But I built this amazing relationship with this guy in Dubai. And he later on introduced me to all the rulers of um, United Arab Emirates. I ended up doing all this work. so I ended up getting some amazing new customers all over Middle East as a result of getting that returns back, those 300 bracelets back. So sometimes if you look out, because your customer, your customer is your business partner, really. So whatever problem she has is your problems. So you have to be responsible when you get the order. You have to be responsible. I mean, nobody wants to be in, in trouble like that, but when you do get in trouble, It might be in your best interest to solve her problem. So that's, you know, that's my philosophy. And I think that a lot of people might disagree with me on that, but that's what I believe. Um, Now, when you go into, now that's one type of negotiations, but, you know, if you're looking at contracts, for example, um, you almost have to go into a situation, whether it's an employment contract, a land lease or TV contract, a book contract, I'm in actually several of them right now you have to figure out what's the most important for you. You know that the other side wants a bunch of things. And by the way, a lot of times the other side does not look out for your best interest. So in that case, you actually do have to kind of make sure that you have those protections with you. But when in contract negotiations, always have the the things that are non-negotiable for you and you need to have them kind of memorized And what I do is I always type up an agenda and I go in and I say, Hey, you know, this is my uh, meeting agenda. You know, these are the points that I want to discuss today with, you know, all of you Um, and, you know, item A, item B, there's only five items or whatever. And I usually will put the items that are most priority, the most important on the top, because that's the one you want to, you want to make sure they get addressed first. And the last item, that number five on the item, usually sounds like they're really important to me, but it's something that I would, I wouldn't mind giving up, but I list it there because that's kind of like my card later on that that I use to negotiate, but always know what are the type of things that that are non-negotiable to you? Because you do have to understand some, I mean, there are things that should be non-negotiable to you if you're in business. And you do have to walk away from some business, Some businesses, I walked away. With some I've walked away from millions of dollars worth of business. And by walking away from those businesses, I actually ended up getting other businesses that are much more healthy. So always know what you the non negotiable items and list them all down before. I mean in writing, so you don't forget, uh, even though you memorized it. And then think about all the the other items that you want. There are, there are somewhat negotiable. You want to have it but you're not sure if they're going to go for it or not. I put that on the second page of my negotiation, you know, about my agenda. I handed them all out, by the way, to to everybody in the room. Um, And then you have to understand the reality. So you understand that the other side is there to make money, uh, to make the most amount of profits. You know, um, this section about negotiating is one of the longest chapters in my book, actually, um, and I have a lot of pro tips on it. Um, but, and this is a very sort of abbreviated version of this because it's a podcast. So go ahead and check out the book when it comes out. But I gather a lot of information. Uh, I gather, for example, if the group of people I'm dealing with, are they rewarded by sales, you know, increases sales? Are they rewarded by top line revenue sales? Are they rewarded by, uh, profits? Because if they're rewarded by profits, it's a different game. They, they're looking for actually you know, markdown money, uh, the inventory control, all this other stuff. They're only looking for price you know, or uh, sales, and that's how they are rewarded in their company. This is how their reward system goes, their review system goes. Then what you do is you, um, a lot of times when that happens, that becomes a pricing issue. You know, it's not, there's a lot less of, you know, how do we uh, control inventory, inventory turn? Um, how do we control margins? They're not into that. They're really more into. So once you understand, when you get all that information, you understand what they want, then you can start to peel off uh, the type of things that you can negotiate with, with them. So you know, gathering all that information ahead of time is really, really important. And also understanding what important issues to you that you are willing to give up, not easily, but willing to give up if you have to. And those things will really help you in terms of, you know, as we go back into the working world, for example, you know, if you don't want to have to commute um, five to six days a week, 40 minutes, you know, from your home, I mean, I think that it's reasonable to, for anybody to know that we've just proven in, in 2020, that most of us can get our jobs done at home right? I mean, I'm just actually talking to um, t- to even the TV station. I'm able to do my uh, shows now remotely by, by Zoom and Skype. So, you know, maybe I'll fly in uh, so many times a year, but a-, a few times a year, I could actually do this in the comfort of my home. It's just one of those many negotiating tactics, that, you know, negotiating points um, that maybe it's going to be better if you only work four days a week or three days a week physically at the office and uh, not show up or maybe you can um, negotiate some sort of a deal where you're only working you know a different set of hours maybe you don't want you want to traffic or um, if you're an employer and you are talking about rewarding your employees you can again you can ask your employees you know what would make you happy because you you can look at what makes them happy because happier employees don't leave. They there's less turnover. And the less turnover you have, the less training, less hiring, you know, all that. Because I I've been in business for since 1989. So I, I know what I'm talking about in this regard. So um, that's my tip on negotiating. And I hope that it negotiating is a huge complex. I mean, I could write a whole, in fact, I might write an entire book on negotiating because I dealt with people negotiating. You know, men, women, young, old um, in every culture in multiple countries. And I've done some big contracts uh, negotiating. I've done some of the biggest airlines, cruise ships, you name it, department stores, online stores um, and on. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up on, you know, if you're not going back to work yet, maybe you're planning on going back to work in May, June, you're still negotiating some of that now, plant those seeds now. So I hope that I was able to give you a little bit of help in that regard. And um, please review, if you can, please review. It's really important to Apple. That's how we get ranked and subscribe if you can. And I think next week I have some fabulous guests. I'm not going to reveal who yet because I have so many of those recorded already. And uh, just so fortunate to have amazing people with incredible experiences and journeys willing to share their experiences and inspire you, our audience, to um, not only just be inspired and awed by them, but also to take action for a better future. So thank you so much again and uh, stay healthy and happy. And again, uh, my motto is that happiness is a choice. And until next time, thank you and bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to Million Dollar Hobbies, where we turn dreams into reality and passion into profit. According to ancient Chinese proverb, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Congratulations on taking that first step today. For more information on how Victoria can help you turn your hobby into a million dollars and to download Victoria's free ebook on passion based business ideas, visit milliondollarhobbies.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player.